This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for December 17, 2023. The title of the message is The Son of David. Now, if you would, um, as we continue on in our service, if you turn with me in your Bibles, we continue through our Advent series with the advent of God's Son. You can follow along with me uh, if you don't have a Bible in, in the bulletins or on the slides behind me. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his Holy Spirit to give us the understanding of what we're about to hear and what we're about to read. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we come before you with our Bibles wide open, that they reflect the stance and disposition of our hearts, that they are wide open to you, uh, that you would fill us then with your word, that as we hear it read and preached, Lord, that we would fully taste and see how good you are, that it would be honey to our lips, uh, it would be food for our souls. Father, would you be with me as I read it, and particularly as I proclaim it, as I exposit it, as I apply it to the lives of your people. Lord, would you use my, the words and the meditations of my heart by your spirit that, that together we would be pleasing in your sight. Bless us, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just to give you a little bit of context here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, this is the point in David's life where Nathan comes to him and relays the promises of God the, and makes, and where God makes with David a covenant uh, that a king who would be, who would come from his lineage a son of David, if you will, to sit upon uh, David's throne forever. And we're going to look at all the ways in which God makes that promise and fulfills that promise. Uh, and this too, then, is part of that grand story of the hope of Christmas in the coming of a, a son who would be king. Hear now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 11. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words 
and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The word of the Lord, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. One of my favorite books, uh, and I use it often, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, if you have read the, the trilogy, slowly, little by little, section by section over the course of the, of the three books, uh, the, one of the main characters, Aragorn, is revealed to be the rightful heir of the great white throne of Gondor. Uh, and as the story unfolds, Tolkien gives us clues and signs into who he is. Uh, we find out in one section that he's a direct descendant of the great king Isildur, one of the last great kings of Gondor, and that he is the one who wields and is given the sword of Elendil, which is that royal sword that Isildur received from his father. And he's able to heal the sick and the injured uh, during and after the battles, so fulfilling the prophecy that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Uh, Aragorn was the true king uh, who fulfills that prophecy because he was of royal birth and lineage. And this is how people knew that he was the true king. And in many ways, our passage uh, demonstrates that same theme. Here in 2 Samuel 7, as we continue in our Advent series in the giving of a son, uh, two weeks ago we began with the giving of a son who would be born, who would crush the head of the seed of the serpent uh, as he himself will be crushed uh, in, in his heel. And then last week we saw the giving of a son of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed And this morning now, we see the promise of Christmas in the giving of a royal son of David. And so I want us to look at what kind of son uh, this this, uh, son of David is going to be. First, he will be a royal son who will be born to establish an eternal kingdom for the people of God. Here in chapter 7, God is making a covenant with David and would give Israel rest through the giving of a son of David. Uh, he says, I will, he says, I will give you rest. And then he goes on to give these promises. So the rest is going to come then through these covenant promises, climaxing in the giving of a son. And God makes two promises about this son. Uh, the first promise is that he's going to make him into a great dynasty. This is what Verse 11 means by, I will make you into a house, right? The Lord is, giving, is going to give Israel rest from their enemies by making David a house. And in the ancient Near East, this language of a house is the language of a dynasty, right? It's kind of why uh, the most recent, like King Charles and Queen Elizabeth, are described as, as kings and queens in the house of Windsor because the, the line of succession of royalty is through this one family, this house, if you will. And so David is going to be like that, that all the future kings, all the true future kings of Israel 
would come from the royal house and lineage of David. Uh, The second promise is that he's going to establish for him uh, an eternal throne and kingdom. He's going to, he says in verse 12, at the end of verse 12 and, and verse 13, he says, I will establish his kingdom and the throne of his kingdom will be forever. You see, the king and and his kingdom are inextricably tied together for all eternity. This is the promise that God is making. And what this means is that David's son uh, will sit on that throne forever. And if his throne is forever, then his kingdom is forever. You see how they're tied together. And these are words of comfort for the people of God. You know, I think we... Uh, in, in our modern American democracy and, and the relative peace and stability take for granted that the peace and stability of, of those ancient Near Eastern nations were contingent upon the peace and stability of, uh, of the succession of kingship and the fact that those kingships, the kingship are, are firmly secure and stable. Um, Because up until David's reign, uh, the people of God were always being attacked and harassed by the Canaanites, you know, like, for example, the Philistines, right? And David was only the second king of Israel whom God had placed because God had taken the the kingship and the kingdom away from Saul because of his sin. And so the people of God probably were not fully secure in David's kingship, right? They were afraid that maybe God will take away David uh, as king, and then there were going, there's going to be instability and chaos again. There's going to be war again. Our nation is going to be um, uh, open to attacks again. And so these are words of comfort, uh, gospel words, if you will, that there is going to be a firmly established king kingdom and throne by which then the people of God will have peace and rest. Um, And so in this way, there's the good news that this rest and peace will come through uh, this son of David. They're going to have peace through an eternal king sitting on an eternal throne, ruling over an eternal kingdom of which they are and will be citizens. As we'll see in the gospel, Jesus is the true royal son who came to establish that eternal throne and kingdom. He died a king with a crown of thorns and rose from the grave with resurrection glory and ascended into heaven at God's right hand. And this truth of Jesus fulfilling this aspect of of the royal son of David has two applications for us as the people of God. One is we need to take more seriously Christ's lordship over our lives. Uh, if, God, if Jesus is Lord and we confess him as Lord, we trust in him as Lord, we live, with him, we live uh, because he is Lord, then I think we need to take it more seriously than we do. It's really easy for us to confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord but it is uh, a wholly different endeavor to live as if he's really Lord in our lives, right? Here's my question to you. Is Jesus first in your life 
right? Uh, or if, if people around you were to look at your life, look at your choices, look at your priorities, look at how you actually spend your time and your money and where your happiness and your hopes lie, would they see that Jesus is first or, or functionally as you really live your life, Jesus is second, third, maybe even last in your life? that you really do give lip service to the Lordship of Christ. Secondly, we need to remember our royal identity as God's royal sons and daughters in Christ. So when you hear people say that you're worthless or less than or they talk ill of you or they laugh at you, uh, it's really easy for us to be disheartened to, be, to fall into discouragement and despair uh, because we believe them. See, when, we, when people speak ill of us or, or when we, we don't live up to other people's expectations or we don't even live up to our own expectations, we believe what other people say that our, our identity is. You're a loser. Uh, you're lazy. Um, you're a bad friend, you're a bad husband, you're a bad wife. Uh, you, you, you fall short of the expectations of your family and, and parents. Um, you're not good enough. What this passage teaches us is that our identity are as prince and princesses of the Son of God, of the King of God. That we are, as that great hymn says that you're a child of the king. You know, when you experience difficulties, when you experience poverty or loss, God forbid, remember who you are in Christ. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. With Jesus my savior, I'm a child of the king. I once was an outcast, stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, an alien by birth. But I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown. A tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still may I sing. All glory to God, I'm a child of the King. Secondly, in addition to being a royal son, he will also be a Davidic son, a son of David, who will bear our humanity. Look at verse 12 with me. He's going to be born of David's own body, born of his flesh and blood, bearing uh, his DNA, David's human nature. And in bearing David's human nature, guess what? He bears our human nature. He is like us. Uh, he, this means that he's not only a physical descendant of David, as a, as a true heir to the throne of David. Uh, but he bears our humanity. Uh, and, and being a true descendant of David, uh, Jesus is the ultimate uh, fulfillment of this promise and prophecy. But what we're going to see is we're going to see um, Im more immediate, closer uh, fulfillment of, the, of, the prof of this particular promise 
in the subsequent generations of David's sons who would sit at, on, um, on the throne of David, Solomon and all the kings of Judah. Uh, and then we see the climax then uh, in the birth uh, of Christ. And this is why, for example, in Matthew and Luke, we see genealogies of, of Jesus. Right? It's not enough that he merely comes uh, incarnate, but he comes incarnate as a true descendant of David, born of the line of David. It is on the basis of this human physical lineage that he has claim to this eternal throne. And what a wonderful, amazing truth that in doing that, he bears our humanity as well. And this is why it's so important that we sing every Christmas uh, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem that God in his wonderful providence and sovereignty made it so that Caesar forced everyone to go to, uh, to count a census. And so they had to go to their hometowns and, and Joseph and Mary uh, had to come down while Mary was pregnant and, G- and she gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. Born uh, in a manger because there was no place for him uh, in the inns. And so let me give you some reasons why it's so important for us to know and to understand uh, that Jesus was incarnate and was born in our humanity. He had to bear our humanity so he could represent us in our humanity. He was the second and true Adam to accomplish what the first Adam failed to do. He can't represent us if he's not one of us. Uh, we see this same principle uh, uh, operative in our representative democracy, right? If somebody is going to represent us, for example, represent Long Beach, you know, in our congressional uh, delegation, um, is he really a representative if he lives uh, in 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 um, if he lives in Orange County and not in Long Beach, right? Uh, or or if if we um, are a, a, a poorer section of, of Southern California and he's you know, super rich, does he really represent us uh, in our circumstances? This is why it's so important for Jesus to bear our humanity. This is why he came incarnate. Because he, in order to represent us, he had to become one of us. He also had to bear our humanity so he could be a proper substitute in order to take our place. Right? Not only represent us, but actually substitute himself for us. Or else he couldn't be a true substitute. Right? Only a human being can take the place of another human being. And this is, for example, why the writer of Hebrews says throughout the Old Testament, uh, about the Old Testament sacrifices, that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Why? Because they're not one of us. The shedding of their blood was a symbol of what we deserved. And as a type and shadow, uh, when the lamb or the bulls and goats would take our place, one day God would fulfill that type and shadow where where the bulls and goats uh, and sheep would be done away with and the true lamb of God would come 
in the person of Jesus Christ in our humanity. That he would, through his death and resurrection, would take away our sin. Only one made like us in every way, yet without sin, could take our place in order to die for us. Uh, He would also have to be both God and man in order to be a true mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's only one God and one mediator, right? And what's a mediator? A go-between. And what better go-between between two different parties is that they, he represents both parties in himself. And so if he's a, a mediator between God and man, that only makes sense that he would be both God and man. And here's a, a beautiful truth for you and me as we think about this Christmas season. That in, when Jesus came into the world, when he was God incarnate bearing our humanity, that we have a God with ears to hear us, real human ears just like ours, eyes to see our plight, our sufferings, our despair, our discouragement, our joys, our love. Uh, And he has hands and feet uh, for which then he is able to embrace us. And he does that right now through the Spirit. But one day, When he returns, we will be able to embrace him. To embrace him in his person, in his glory, in his humanity, and guess what? In his deity, in that mystery of the incarnation. And he also bears our humanity so that he might become our example and pattern for life. John says, uh, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And when he appears, we shall be like him. Paul says that we are being transformed into his image, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and being conformed into the image of his son, Romans 8.29. See, Paul says to us in our suffering to remember that Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example of, so that you might follow in his footsteps. There's a sense in which Jesus uh, takes our place, but also to show us the way, to follow in his footsteps, to be like him. And this is one of the ways and the beauty of, of the Christian life, that you become more and more like Jesus, the most wonderful gracious, kind, compassionate, loving uh, person to ever walk the earth. And God is making you to be like him in the very way in which you live. And it's because and it's grounded in his humanity. He can also then, he also bears our humanity also to sympathize with us in our humanity He's not a savior or a God who is so aloof that he has no idea of what we're going through. He stooped low and humbled himself. The writer of Hebrews says of Jesus that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So friends, brothers and sisters, maybe you're going through 
a really hard time. Maybe you're experiencing a trial. Um, Maybe you are mourning a loved one. Maybe your body is betraying you. Maybe your body is falling apart. Uh, You're not as healthy and as vibrant as you once were, and you feel like you can't do anything. Uh, In your weakness, in your despair, in your discouragement, you have a Savior, you have a God who knows exactly what you're going through. He knows what it means to be disappointed in his friends. He knows what it means to be betrayed by one he loved. He knows what it means to be hurt, to be tortured, to be mocked. He knows uh, what it means for to suffer the slow, agonizing death of a crucifixion. And out of the fullness of his experience, he can minister to you. He can give you his Holy Spirit to uphold you from his own experience. Um, And so if you're going through these difficulties, would you go to the Lord and ask him for his, for his help out of, from his sympathy? This then brings us to my last point. He is not only a royal son of the lineage of David, but he's also going to be a divine son who will redeem us from our sins. The Lord goes on to describe the nature of his relationship to this promised son of David. Look at verse 14 with me. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And this has what we call uh, a telescoping, uh, uh, this is a telescoping uh, prophecy with telescoping fulfillment. And what that means is that there's a a near fulfillment uh, that will, continue to be fulfilled until its ultimate fulfillment later on in the future. And so I think this might have a, uh, an immediate reference to David's human sons, the subsequent sons who become king after, in, including Solomon, right? Uh, and they were described as sons of God uh, in terms of, of being kings uh, and that they would become types and shadows of the true son of God who would be king to come. Uh, And then, and this is why later on in verse 14, God says that when they commit iniquity, he's referring to these, uh, this this immediate reference to to Solomon and his um, human sons, that he's going to discipline them with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, that they will be punished with rod and whip for sinning against the Lord, but it's going to be in the form of discipline and he is not going to withdraw his steadfast love for them. And in other words, there's grace there. He's not going to completely cut them off, but he is going to teach them a lesson uh, that their sins have consequences and that's why we see later on uh, the exile from Israel. But then they're going to come back. 
And they don't have a true son of David sitting on the throne after they come back. And so there's a placeholder, if you will. Just like in, in the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, there's a great white throne that it sits empty for the true king who would come to ascend and to sit and to rule and to reign. And that's where we see the ultimate fulfillment of, these, of the, this uh, promise. Uh, in the coming of Jesus Christ, the true son of David, and the son of God, the divine son of God, who is both God and man, whom Isaiah calls and gives him the name, uh, the mighty God and prince of peace, Emmanuel, God with us. So that when he is baptized to identify with us in our humanity, we see that great scene uh, of God speaking, for the heavens open and God, God the Father speaking down on, on Jesus for, 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 day, for John the Baptist to hear and the dove descend upon him and hear this voice saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, whereas the king of Israel, the kings of Israel sinned against the Lord and God disciplined them for their sins, Jesus will not be disciplined for his sins, but he will suffer for our sins. This is why he was born a son of David and the son of God, why God became a man, that he is the the suffering servant of the line of David, the messianic son of David, despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes, you can hear that same language, by his stripes, we are healed. This is why Christmas is so important, because it's when we celebrate the birth of this son of David, who will be crowned with thorns, so that we would be crowned with glory, who bears our sins in his body so that we might have his righteousness in our bodies, who paid the penalty and the punishment so we might have his forgiveness, who was forsaken of God so we might be accepted and adopted sons and daughters of the king. And after three days, he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now sits at God's right hand. He sits as the true son of David uh, with his eternal life to sit eternally on an eternal throne, gathering for himself an eternal kingdom, giving eternal life to all those who repent and believe in him. One very important implication of this divine of his divine sonship is that when we are united to Christ, when we commune and pray with him and to him, he is not only our sympathetic high priest, but a sympathetic savior and God. He understands us. He gets us. You can pour out your heart to him. And the only way the only reason why he can truly understand what you're going through is because he came and became like us. And so as we get closer to Christmas, my hope for you is that you would come to see that in the giving of a royal son, 
we are royal children of God. In the giving of a Davidic son, we have a mediator between God and man who is himself both God and man. And in the giving of a divine son, we are now adopted sons in the true son, and therefore we are children, heirs and co-heirs with Christ, so that we too then would call God our Father, and he would be to us, uh, that we would be to him sons and daughters. Let this be the truth, the truth of Christmas, so that we might have the joy of Christmas this season. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the promise of your one and only Son, uh, the Son of David, the royal Son, uh, the human Son, the divine Son. Father, thank you for making us into your sons and daughters. Bless us this Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.